good morning, good day, and good night. You may have stumbled upon this podcast randomly as you browse around a graveyard full of ghouls, driving on an endless road with your killer laying in the back seat, waiting for the right opportunity to slay your throat. Or, you know, just by personal interest. However, what you may not know is what you're about to hear are extremely sinister stories. This show contains all depths of horror that lurks around our society. Kidnapping, torture, murder, you name it. Whether it's down a dark alley or from the pitch black closet in a bedroom. If it's the paranormal that haunts our surroundings or demonic possession that needs to be cleansed, a flying saucer that hovers over our helpless world. These files are for one's understanding, but listener discretion. You are warned. If you wish to be part of the cult, well, not a cult, but family, (laughs) hit the five star in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to wherever you are listening. Now that you are brave enough, are you ready to open these cryptic files? Welcome to Cryptic Files. I'm your host, Justin, and today is part two of the Craig Creek Road file, Caldwell Fields, and this episode is very intense and engaging because I interview a private investigator that looked into the case, and what he told me is quite interesting. So, without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hey, it's Justin. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Pretty good. So, first off, I just want to thank you for doing this. Um, I think with you being on this series, it will um, not only get more people interested in it, but um, it's good to hear another side. You know what I mean? Do you think you have enough material to have a series? Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping to get at least okay. three. <clears throat> three episodes in. It looked like you, because uh, I, I was actually, I, just briefly, but I, I looked around a little bit on, on you a little bit. looks like you, uh, so you, uh, 
you're you like to you're a filmmaker and mm-hmm. you like to explore things like unsolved mysteries and things like that. Huh? Yes, yes. Okay. So you dug in to me as well. <laughs> well, I guess that's kind of similar to you know my interests were, which is why I got private investigation in the first place. Um. So let's let's just go right into it. Um, that's fine. So. You're known as the Bulldog. Um, yeah, sometimes. People <laughs> still call me that. Yeah. Um, when did you start investigating? What? Um, it was sometime, yeah, it was, it was sometime around 2007. So basically, my ex-wife's, um, my ex-wife's cousin was married to, uh, very prominent attorney and um, I went through some personal tragedy which was part of why Caldwell Fields thing and a lot of interest to me so we had a my ex-wife and I we had a child that died um, from premature birth complications I'm sorry to hear and, that uh, I, I appreciate it it was a it was a pretty rough deal I moved I actually moved back Theater, well, I moved here with, with her um, as a result of that because, you know, it, it was hard on both of us, of course. Right. Um, but her as the mother, it was really hard. Yeah. And I thought it was the, I thought it was the right thing to do because, you know, she has family here. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, anyway, once, you know, once I moved here to the New River Valley area, um, I think we were still... We were still in a little bit of a technology glut uh, after Y2K, uh, you know, turned out to be Y2 nothing, <laughs> but there was a lot of gearing up in preparation. Of course, uh, a lot of people had turned to IT for jobs. Yeah. And then we followed with September 11th, and so there was, there weren't a lot of IT jobs. And I used to have one of a pretty significant authority, so the bottom line is that I, I was ready to try something else and um, her cousin was an attorney and uh, needed some assistance serving uh, subpoenas. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's called, it's called process serving. You basically track people down and, and give them court papers. Um, sometimes it's ugly, but sometimes it's not. It all depends on you know, the situation. Yeah. But this had to do with some environmental lawsuits. And some of these people were experts in their fields, um, you know, in, in, with environment, you know, endangered species, Bats, things like that. Um, there, there was a, a big thing about windmills in West Virginia, and then and, and you know, and tracking down some environmental people to speak as you know, expert witnesses. So that's why I came in. So I, I found I was really, really good at it. Um, I, I'm able to use, you know, so I started in IT, and I was able to. Unlike a lot of private investigators, they come from all walks of life. But my background wasn't law enforcement; it was research. And the ability to use, you know, um, the internet to, to learn things, find things, track people down, things like that. So that's that's how I came into it. And, um, and he was actually pretty impressed um, with a couple of the process serves I did. I mean, one one time I actually served this guy like coming out of a cave. <laughs> <laughs> like I tracked him down to the mouth of the cave, God. which made it kind of interesting filling out the paperwork. Yeah, like yeah, you have to place of service. Well, okay, well, this is, I served him a paper at the Bat Cave in the middle of West Virginia. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, 
it, you know, so he said something to me. Uh, he said, hey, you know, you're, you're really good at this. You should look at becoming a private investigator. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I, I thought, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And then an attorney named me the Bulldog. Um, that was one of my questions. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, what is the Bulldog? What does it mean? Is it common for PIs to have a nickname? Um, <clears throat> no. I mean, okay, so a private investigator, you know, private investigators are, you know, they're trying to run a business, okay, or they work for a business, one or the other. Yeah. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, you, you need to have something catchy. Mm -hmm. um, I have noticed that there's, there's actually somebody in South Carolina right now running around, you know, with, with the, the uh, moniker Bulldog PI, which on the one hand kind of ticked me off a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but I, yeah, I don't, I didn't own it. Well, I kind of, I don't know, I should have gotten it copyrighted, but um, <laughs> in any case, you know, uh, Bulldog is, the Bulldog and PI, it seems, because of tenacity, you need to have some tenacity. Right. And that was the point. I was, uh, so I, I started out as a process server. And you, you, don't, you didn't have to be licensed to do that at the time. Uh, depending on, you had to follow the rules of each state. Each state has its own independent rules. And if it's a, if you're serving papers in one state on behalf of another state, you really need to, you know, meet the requirements of both states. Yeah. But anyway, I was serving papers in West Virginia. And uh, I had started doing a lot of work for this one attorney in Princeton. And I overheard him in the back room, like I came in and I was sitting, you know, waiting to meet with them, to, you know, getting some documents and things on people I had gotten served, and I started to make a name for myself, and I, he had his secretary slash paralegal in the office with him, you know, and uh, she was asking, hey, how are we gonna get so-and-so done? He's, he's been very elusive, uh, people can't seem to find him, and I, I overheard the attorney because um, I was just waiting, you know, I was waiting, and I think it came up because I was here mm -hmm. basically to get paid for the work I had done. And and then the, and the attorney said, well, wait, don't you have the bulldog in the other room? You should put him on it. <laughs> and, uh, and then I forget exactly what else was said. I mean, we're going back like 15 years almost. But um, when she came out, I guess I had a, a really big smile on my face, you know. Because mm -hmm. I had overheard them. Yeah. And she came out and she looked at me and her, and her face kind of like, uh, you know, just kind of, you, know, you hear about somebody's face freezing or like a deer in the headlights. I don't know what, she was afraid I was going to get upset or something. And she just said, you, you, you heard us? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I heard you. And she said, well, we didn't mean to offend you. And I said, no, I, I kind of, I like it. <laughs> so that, that's how I got the nickname. Okay. It actually, it was actually because I, I just wouldn't let things go. Yeah, and uh, and so so the name the name stuck and it, and it spread. Attorneys started to refer to me, and there's I found out in their private circles is the bulldog. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing quite a bit of medical process serving. Um, the um, the Bluefield Hospital and the Princeton Hospital in West Virginia became part of some medical system, mm -hmm. and there was an awful lot of delinquent debt. And uh, a number of process servers wouldn't take the assignment because, well, because some of the areas are dangerous. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I needed the money. And when and I started doing a little bit, I, I had an attorney reach out to me from a pretty big law firm. And then he had an assistant, and, and they sent me a few papers, I think as a 
trial and then they were impressed with what I was able to accomplish. So one day, and the, the federal legal's name was Matt. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. And I don't really want to name firms anyway. But yeah. uh, he, he said, well, he, he said, you know, well, how many papers can you handle? And I said, uh, I don't know how many do you have. And he said, quite a few. I said, well, okay, we'll start sending them over and we'll see what we can do. And, and then they just started coming. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I, you know, like lots, like boxes of 50 papers, 60 papers, wow. 70 papers that needed served. So I was able to build the business up from there. Um, and then, of course, I had to fulfill certain requirements in the state of Virginia to get my private investigation license. Mm -hmm. That's where I was headed. Um, you know, I, I then had more working capital and I was able to take that money and invest it in, you know, training, um, getting my licenses, getting my certificates, setting up a, a home office, yeah. all the things that were necessary to, you know, to actually become established. Right. Um, so sorry, that was kind of long -winded. No, no, it's great. It's great. I, came to I wanted a background on you. Um, uh, how did you discover the Heidi and David story? Were you hired to investigate it, or was it just a personal interest? Well, because of where it was, so there were there were a number of reasons why it caught my attention. Mm -hmm. um, I used to be I used to be involved in Virginia Tech. Um, I had a number of friends there, um, had connections and contacts there. But uh, like a lot of people, um, I, I think this might have been back during the days of television, when television was more prominent for news. Yeah. Um, I, I stumbled across the news story. I think I, I think I was sitting in my living room, and, and yeah, and it came over on the news. You know, the bodies had been discovered, and the and the you know uh, the, the reporters were on the scene, and the vehicle was sitting there, and I could tell a number of things from the get go. Number one, I could tell that things didn't add up right. Right. Because the window that was shot was the window facing the field. Okay. Okay. And maybe eventually, uh, I may, I maybe won't go out with you and take a little trip over Caldwell Fields. But yeah. So the, the, the side of the vehicle with the damage, with broken window, broken glass, um, that was facing the field. Okay. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because the road's right there. So whoever perpetrated this had to be in the field, okay? Mm. And then the other thing was, the more I dug and the more I found out and the more I was able to get some people to open up to me, um, particularly some of the students at Virginia Tech, the more I came to really have sympathy for David Metzler and Heidi Childs. Right. Um, I, suspect, I suspect pretty strongly and I had heard that they were, you know, they were on room ticket. It was an engagement dinner, I believe. Oh, okay. I believe he was going to propose to her or something. It was, a, it was a big deal. It was supposed to be a special evening. Okay. And it was a couple of young people just starting their lives. And then this occurred. And um, but in terms of what of not adding up was, you know, like I said, so the window was facing the wrong way. There's nobody out there. It's um, out at Caldwell Fields. I mean, it's pretty remote. Mm -hmm. It's from Montgomery County, um, but it is well known among, or used to be, among uh, Virginia Tech 
students, and it's a very, very pretty place, and it was very popular among the students. Right. And they would visit it a lot, especially during one time a year, um, you know, later August, early September. And, um, you know, and a lot of the locals, a lot of the people that live up and down that road, and a lot of the people that frequent that, that gun range, um, were aware of the popularity of the location of the Virginia Tech students. And so, the more I looked at it, um, I looked at it as a, a crime of opportunity. There had been a lot of speculation as memory serves. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that Heidi Childs' father was a, uh, he was actually a uh, helicopter pilot, I believe, for the uh, Virginia State Police. And there were, you know, that, that's one of the things that I learned. I learned a lot of things yeah. as being a private investigator. Um, you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful with the uh, rumors and the assumptions and the speculation. I mean, it was absolutely crazy when it came to the Morgan Harrington situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, and people can get really caught up in it, and people can, um, you know, I don't. I wouldn't say necessarily lose their sense of reality, but you can get, it can become almost addictive and, in some ways, drug-like. Right. Um, yeah, the, the hype, uh, the hype, and the—I mean, the excitement. I think through my years of being a private investigator, I have learned that people, most people, uh, at least in, in, in you know, what I'm used to in the United States and everything, live in, in, in a world of shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, I think people are good. People have good hearts, but you know, but very, very few people don't have skeletons in the closet. And um, anyway, I'm not 100% sure how that ties into this, except that I realized that whoever might have information that would be worthwhile, like we lived in that world in Shades Gray, mm-hmm. because, you know, I think we touched on this a little in our messages. Yeah. So there's a lot of people, you know, out in that area that, that um, for one reason or another, they're reclusive, um, maybe they deal with drugs, Maybe that run-ins with the law. A lot of them are very suspicious of the law. Uh, you know, I'm talking about law enforcement, okay? Yeah. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that murder sits with them. It doesn't mean that they, that, you know, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't have liked to get, get a piece of whoever committed the atrocity mm-hmm. uh, because it was such a terrible thing. So I reached out to that segment of society because I was like, they're not going to talk to the, to the police. It's like, hey... Look, I don't care what you do. I don't care about the drugs. You know, I don't care about the fact that, you know, uh, you were in really serious um, assault-type situations two or three years ago. I don't care about any of that. Tell me about the girl. Tell me about what happened here. Tell me about what you've heard. I'm not a cop. I don't profess to be a cop. I'm not out here trying to cause problems for you. I want this guy caught. Period. That was the approach we took. And it was the approach I meant mm-hmm. um, when I was dealing with these people. So, um, but so between it didn't add up in terms of well, it, it didn't add up in terms of a common, you know, just assault uh, crime of opportunity. I was like, well, this took a little bit of maybe if not planning. It, it, it certainly wasn't just hey, drove, drove by and shot. There was more to it. Right. In, in terms of where this individual was. Well, I looked uh, at your. I looked at your. Uh, your website or the link you sent me and you you have the occam's razor theory um 
Now, this story can go into so many directions that it's only fitting, I guess, to have this theory. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. This theory is based on the belief that if a certain something or someone fits the narrative, it's assumed or or settled as the solution. Well, it's uh, if you and actually, I started learning about the theory of Arkham Grayson actually from Star Trek because there was a okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a movie character. I happen to think that Leonard Kimmler was, was an awesome individual. Yeah. Um, and he actually wrote a book. I think he wrote two. I'm not Spock. And he wrote another one. I am Spock. So he had to deal with that. He had to deal with this persona. Just like I have to deal with mine. Exactly. It's still there. I still get calls. Right. Um, that doesn't mean I act on them. Sometimes I'm tempted to. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm not licensed to be a PI anymore. I can still legally serve papers. But any, anyway, uh, Occam's razor. So if you eliminate all the unlikely possibilities, you start to narrow in on the truth. Right. Okay? You, so then that's what law enforcement does. I think that's also what private investigators do. Private investigators are basically problem solvers. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're out there trying to solve a problem. Yeah, the problem might be someone's having an affair or need evidence, but there's other things, too. I worked a parental kidnapping case... I actually was able to find the child, um, you know, several states over. Wow. And I want to be kind of weird, but it's the truth. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I actually went up there with a truck and a bicycle <laughs> in, a, in a really undesirable location because whoever heard of a PI riding a bicycle? Right. <laughs> riding a bicycle around doing surveillance. I actually used that a couple of times. Wow. Um, I've had cameras hidden out the trees. I've had car batteries. I walked out into the woods. I think outside the box. Yeah. I always have. I always probably always will. But um, I started to eliminate possibilities talking to people and, and started to eliminate uh, motive. My belief, a very strong belief, is that the individual that commit, the individual or individuals, because I know that there's a particular, um, there's a, there's somebody out there that uh, some, of her, some of her theories are kind of good um, mm-hmm. and you know I mean everybody's got their quirks I would say that she's kind of quirky but that doesn't mean you know that doesn't mean she didn't have good intentions and it doesn't mean that she that she didn't have some understanding of what she was referencing yeah and um, so whether we're talking about one individual or several individuals someone was out there someone that resided out on uh Pedapisipan Road or no Craig Street Road mm-hmm. was out there and had observed the time of day, the fact that the vehicle was headed, you know, towards Virginia, if towards uh, Coldwell Fields, that there were Virginia Tech students, because I believe there was a sticker on the back of the vehicle, you know, you know, go Hokies, Virginia Tech, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, sun was going down. There was only one reason to be that far on the road. Yeah. Once you get out around uh, what's called um, what's the name of that uh, camp uh, uh, Tuckaway Camp Tuckaway yes there, there's, there, there's not that many places to go you're either going the rest of the way to Craig's County mm-hmm. or you're going to Camp Tuckaway so if you have a couple of young you know young individuals and I hate to stereotype but you have a couple of young people mm-hmm. headed out passing Camp Tuckaway at that time the road wasn't paved so you were probably going about 30 or not much faster than that okay it's pretty obvious where the car was going. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. 
and um, somebody would have known that. Somebody said, "Hey, those, those have to be you know college kids headed to you know to Camp Tupperware, mm-hmm. or I mean to Benetta's Pond, Craig Street, whatever." <laughs> Caldwell Field. They're Caldwell, yeah. All running together, but they, <laughs> they have to be headed to um, Caldwell Field because nothing else makes sense. Right. Um, because look, they're also the only college students that drive, so we probably wouldn't be Camp Tupperware, which usually focuses on high school and under. Right. But um, so that's where they were headed. It was sundownish. Um, I forget what day of the week it was. Was it a Thursday or a Friday? Wasn't it like an August twenty seventh? August twenty sixth, I believe. Um, okay. I don't. I don't know what day it was. <clears throat> so it was pretty. You know, it's pretty obvious where the car was headed. Yeah. Um, but a couple of other thoughts probably occurred in the in the um, the perpetrator or uh, instigator's mind. Mm-hmm. Know, whether they reached out to somebody else or they did it themselves. Um, number one. It was a Wednesday. I'm sorry. It was a Wednesday. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, and it was before, but it was before Virginia Tech got into full swing. Yeah. So uh, it probably was like moving week or something. Okay. But uh, Salem Band Camp was out there that week. Yes. The high school. Salem High School Band Camp. Because, you know, I, I know this because I researched it. Um, and they and they were playing their instruments from right around sundown well into the evening all that week. And so, okay, a Wednesday. So it started to come back to me. So it was a Wednesday. They already had been doing that. Saturday, okay. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It wouldn't take a real rocket scientist to figure, hey, there might be a lot of noise coming from the Camp Tupperway side of the, of the equation. Exactly. On Wednesday evening. And that would provide cover noise. In the direction from in the direction of population, it would provide cover noise from Camp Tuckaway all the way, you know, back towards um, Route 460 and everything. Mm-hmm. The other direction is Craig's County, and it's a pretty remote part of Craig's County because, uh, first of all, first you're hitting the National Forest, Jefferson National Forest. Yeah. So the bottom line is there was a lot of cover noise in the direction of um, in the direction of concern um, in terms of gunshots and, and screaming and things like this. Yeah. Um, and all right, and so the, and the vehicle was obviously headed out there. So I actually um, I did a lot of research on on, on things. I, I was out at the location. I talked to different people. I think I had some material. I know I know I had some material up on my blog. And um, I did not. I don't have any proof that that what I believe happened happened in terms of physical proof. But it, but it, Dockham's Raisin Theory. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. There is a road that overlooks Cargo Fields. There's a road on the opposite side. I think you probably know that. Yes. Um, I mentioned that in the first episode. Yes. Um, a lot of a lot of the locals and things just call it the road to nowhere. It's a logging road that goes up that mountain. Yes. But um, somebody that didn't, somebody not from the area that didn't, like, like right from that area wouldn't know that. They just see this road. The initial opening to the road is pretty, um, you know, it, it just look, it, it looks like it, it's well-maintained and it's a, it's a gravel road, but yes. the roads out there are So anyway, my belief is that somebody, somebody took a drive-by, somebody took a drive-by not long after uh, David Metzler had parked his vehicle in that spot with Heidi. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they observed the vehicle. I mean, they, they probably, if they had any smarts, and I believe they had some, um, they didn't, you know, they didn't stop and gawk. They, they drove by slowly. Maybe they continued towards Craig, um, or maybe they just initially took that turn right up the quote unquote road to nowhere and let them let them feel more at ease again because any kind of a vehicle around sundown out there yeah. stands out. 
even to even you know even to um, college you know, students that are in love and talking and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just it gets your attention. Hey, there's a car. Yeah. But um, so one way or another, I believe that 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 the vehicle in question took the turn up the road to nowhere. Maybe drove all the way by Caldwell Fields first, turned around, came back, and then went up the road to nowhere. Maybe um, had enough forethought and enough calmness to just take the turn. Um, if they were coming from the Blacksburg direction, which is what I believe happened, they would have taken a left and gone up that road. Not far up that road, like we're talking yards, mm-hmm. not not like a half mile or anything. We're talking like 150, 200 yards, about three, you know, so we're talking between 450 to 600 feet. The road starts to take a, it starts to have a bend, and there was a uh, there was a pull off there. Um, yeah, I think it was a pull off that was probably used. For, for the for the um, the people cutting trees, you can get permits and, and cut firewood and that kind of thing. Um, and so, in other words, it was a pull off that was set up either for the forest workers or for, for lack of a better way, putting in customers you know that had made arrangements with the national forest to pay whatever fees and cut some firewood on trees that were marked to be able to do so. Okay. And um, but that would be some place where someone could give Heidi and David some time to settle back in to their conversations and, and laughter and dinner, whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. and um, and think about what they were doing and plan and smoke a few cigarettes um, and stuff. I didn't dig up, I gave it about two weeks. Yeah. Okay, from when the TV report came out. I gave it about two weeks, let law enforcement do their thing. My goal was not to really interfere with law enforcement or anything like that. My goal was to see if I could make some kind of a difference and see if I could dig anything up and see if I could get people to talk to me. And uh, anyway, um, from there, once the sun went down, you can actually leave that pull-off and you can cut through the trees in a, in a certain way to the edge of Caldwell Fields where there's an old cemetery. Okay. And, if, and, and, and you would be able to observe. Now remember, it's really dark out there at night. Yes. Yeah. On, a, on a really well starlit night and everything. You might be able to see a little bit of shadows and so forth, but there's no street lights, no anything. There's, there didn't used to be any cell service out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, in any case, uh, you'd be able to go through that cemetery, make your way back down onto that onto that dirt road at a distance, and come around behind the vehicle oh, right? okay. from the other side. And uh, I also believe that what what occurred was, for whatever reason. At some point, I mean, maybe out of boredom. I mean, I'm not trying to be graphic or anything, but maybe they would need to uh, go take a leap with these bats and whatever, right? So, yeah. But at some point, I believe that David had started to open up, you know, had, had turned on the the, the, um, the overhead light in the vehicle, opened the, opened the car door or whatever to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's when, that's when the murder happened. Okay. Or at least that's when David was shot. So he uh, was out of... David never got out of the car. He never got out of the car. No. Okay. No, he, he was he was shot. Um, now, of course, that would mean that would imply. Uh, I'm thinking about it again. That I guess David. Uh, yes, yeah, so it was the passenger window that was blown out. Okay. And so it would imply that David was in the passenger seat. And it's been a while. And at one time, I did know that, and I think that might be correct. I'm not 100 sure, but he never got out of the car. Yeah. And then, you know, Heidi went into a panic. Um, you know, she loved him. You know, trying to, trying to, you know, trying to comfort him, trying to get help, trying to get her thoughts together. Absolutely. And then she exited the car. Yeah. And um, uh, she didn't. Her death was a little bit 
um, more brutal. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to get into all that, other than to say that it was it was very heinous and that she was fleeing. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Montgomery County Sheriff's Department uh, made some mistakes. They actually did take me. You know, they, I, I had I had reached out to them. I provided them what I had. We discussed things several times at length. Um, and they, they liked some of my theories. Um, but uh, in any case, so she was fleeing away from the vehicle, and she was shot. Mm-hmm. And then, then, you know, and then she was attacked. But um, there were some things that I really didn't quite understand. That there was um, in terms of how the investigation was conducted. For one thing, I've been to that gun range. The gun range is a few miles from Caldwell Field. It's closer to four sixty. Yes, it's like right and, at four sixty. Uh, Okay. It's like right at 460, I believe. Yes, it, it's not. It, it's like at a quarter mile, yeah. quarter mile or half mile from 460. Um, so after the murder, one of the first things that was done was that the sheriff's department went out there, yeah, and, and the, the, the murder got on their news, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they started, you know, just asking, every, you know, asking whoever arrives, hey, do you have a 3030? Do anybody have a 3030? Have you seen anybody out here that looks kind of suspicious with a thirty thirty rifle? Right. I mean, that was just absurd. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, come on. I mean, for, first of all, uh, oh, and and also the ATF. This was during the course of the investigation, a few months in. The ATF sent a, a, a you know, a, you know, of course, they, they're, they're you know gun dealers, and, and gun dealers you know take their license and everything to answer to the Federal Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and now Explosives. And so they have they have jurisdiction, just like uh, the Virginia Department of Criminal Justice Services has jurisdiction over private security, private investigators, uh, private security, and, and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So when you get contacted by a, a powerful agent, a powerful agency um, of that nature, you know it's in your best interest to, to, to cooperate and give them what they want, and you're probably even legally obligated to do so. Yeah. Well, the ATF started sending letters to. The gun dealers, uh, all the gun dealers from you know, basically, I'd say something like a hundred mile radius, because they even reached out to Union, West Virginia. Oh wow! They wanted records of anybody that had purchased a thirty thirty rifle within the last six months. Hmm. Um, if you're trying to keep things, you know, low key and not release a lot of information to the public, that's not the way to go about it. Right. When Sheriff Witt finally made his big, you know. You know, his big press release say, you know, we've got, we've got pipe hot items of information, and you know, this was missing, this was missing, and it was a thirty thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was, you know, it, it, I'm sorry, that's a press release. I didn't, I didn't really think a lot of sheriff. Okay. I, mean, I have nothing against the current sheriff of Montgomery County. I just thought that it was uh, an episode. Right. Um. All right. But um, and and also. You know, uh, you're dealing with young college students, and um, although caution not to, I mean, they there was interaction with the family and things. Word, word got out what was missing. Yeah. Word got out that Heidi's um, Heidi's purse was missing, her ID was missing, uh, camera was missing. I'm trying to remember the various things that were missing. It's like a purse, cell the phone, uh, keychain. St- yeah. Yeah, so I remember a keychain. I believe, I believe, was there a driver's license and a camera? Okay. Um, and I'd have to, just so, just your audience know, this is not, so I did not review for this. This is, this yeah. is not staged, this is just from memory. It's been, um, yeah, it's been 12, how, 12 years, pretty much. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. There's a, there's a young woman's shoe. Like, all right, so two weeks later, the bulldog starts bouncing around. He's saying, okay, enough time's gone by. I'd like this solved. Uh, it'd, be good for, it'd be good for me, it'd be good for my company, but more importantly, it'd be good for the family. What the hell happened here? These, these young people did not deserve this. This was a terrible thing. Um, they were minding their own business. They may have been slightly, you know, slightly naive to go up, but they weren't hurting anybody, you know? And so I started digging. I go out there, and I'm, I'm walking around, I'm looking, and I do remember, I remember some kind of a, there was some kind of a pull string or something, a thin fishing line type pull string that went through the cemetery. Um, and, and if memory serves, I was, it looked to me like it would be a way to trigger some kind of a, a motion detected camera or something. I'm like, well, because I believe some of them used to use that. We're, we're dealing with the old days, okay? Motion sensitive type cameras weren't as good back then. Yeah. And I'm like, well, were they hoping that, was that, was that a hunter? I was like a hunter trying to trigger a camera or was or seen as a crime type thing. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That obviously was, it looked to me like that was a trigger for a camera to try to catch some images or, you know, notification of movement or that kind of thing. I was like, I'm like, I'm standing like this out here. Because I'd been to Global Fields a couple of times. So I didn't I didn't go very often. There was no reason to. Right. But uh, I was familiar with the location. But then I see this young woman's shoe, hmm. like, like a dress shoe, like the type of a shoe that, you know, that uh, someone would wear going on a date. What color you was know, it? Uh, like a, I think it was white. I took I had a picture of it at one point. Okay. Because I actually reached out to Detective Rakes. <laughs> um, with the Montgomery, he, he's retired now, but yeah. um, Detective Rakes at the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. I was like, look, um, this may have something to do with something. It may not, but I really wouldn't just leave this shoe hanging out around here because if nothing else, it's going to draw all kinds of speculation. And also, for all I know, it was, it was a sloppy job. Of, you know, somebody should have gotten the shoe, okay? Yeah. And then I went, and then I did get up, go up there. Um, how long was it? It wasn't right away. It was a number of, was it the following year? I finally did go out there with the metal detector. Um, I mean, look, I mean, 30-30 casings, okay? 30-30 is a pretty common rifle. I've never had one. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a pretty common deer rifle. But to have those casings, like, right there, mm-hmm. you know, like, right in the, in the vicinity of where the car was sitting. Yeah. You almost like, you know, gathered up, stamped into the ground, whatever. Uh, that didn't make a lot of sense to me because I don't think somebody buried them. I think all the time they got smushed down into the mud. Yeah. And um, the, the shoe, uh, that that just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, because it was too, it was too, fr- I mean, they were keeping a close eye on location. Yeah. Okay, they were keeping a close eye on Caldwell Fields. And as a matter of fact, as I remember, it started to come back to me I believe they had all their cadets, like the Virginia State Police cadets, the, um, the you know the graduating class at that time. They had them all out there tromping around in the field. Really? Uh, looking, yes. Oh, you could probably find. You could probably find. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say, "Trust but verify." Yeah. I believe the news story is still out. But yeah, they they had them. They had them all walking around, trying to save time, perhaps. You know, is there? Yeah, because that's that's one of the things in investigation, whether it's criminal, civil law enforcement type investigation, private investigation type investigation, like the kinds of kidnapping thing I dealt with. Time is not a friend. Yeah. The clock goes, memory fades, things get lost, evidence, you know, disappears. But yeah, they had all the uh, Virginia, um, Virginia State Police um, cadets 
uh, that were graduating, I think from the Salem Barrack, I can't remember, but it, but it was a fair number of them, you know, like somewhere between 50 to 100 out there stomping around in the field looking for evidence. God. I, think, I mean, not right, not, we're not talking about right where the car was, yeah. but the Caldwell Fields, you've been there, right? It's big. Yes, yeah. It's a reason it's called Caldwell Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the forestry department must keep that field and stuff mowed down. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, so all kinds of scrub trees and things don't grow, and it, it retains, it's kind of like a, a great big farm field almost. But uh, um, but anyway, so I'm sure the grass was somewhat high, and, and everybody's out there stomping around just as far as. Mm-hmm. And it became very political. Um, I believe Whit was going to run for re-election, and that's why he made his he made a statement because it, it was very political. It was a big deal. Yeah. There were several meetings at, at uh, Camp Tuckaway, um, um, you know, like cons- uh, concerned citizen meetings, and I, I was in attendance. I didn't run around announcing who I was, yeah. but I was there um, <laughs> to see what was going on, see if anything worthwhile came out. Everybody was on edge. Um, there's a lot of... Um, unfortunately, there's poaching that takes place in Jefferson National Forest, just like, you know, like I said, a lot of the people out there are out there for a reason. They want to be left alone or yeah. they don't necessarily follow the rules. So people were hearing gunshots after dark and everybody was, you know, nervous and on edge, mm-hmm. which um, makes sense to me. Um, I believe it did reach out to um, Heidi's family to let them know you know, I was going to start digging on this. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I never charged anything. It wasn't, it wasn't really about that. I mean, if I had gotten some reward money, you know, that's great and wonderful. Mm-hmm. But no, it, it was more, it, 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 it was, it was just, it was just a brutal, terrible thing with, you know, um, you know, murder, uh, you know, the taking of a couple of young people's lives like that, especially a couple of young people. You've got no, no vendetta against, no, they're, they're, they're not your friends, they're not your enemies, you don't know them, they're driving down the road, and I see them, and hey, I'm going to go, I think this is what I'm going to do tonight. I mean, really? Right, I mean, right. You know. So it's just such a situation of uh, intense evil. Well, do you, do you that, think it was it was kind of personal for you? Um, the fact that... For me? Yes, the fact that... personal. Yeah. The fact that you, you've you lost uh, a child... Yes, I mean, I was going home to, uh, eventually, the, I mean, I had, I had my failings, mm-hmm. and I could have been a better, a better husband. I mean, it was very hard for me to do what I was doing, not just Caldwell Fields, but the, uh, I was not seeing the best in humanity. Right, okay? right. And, um, you know, a lot of times I was, I was not violent towards my ex-wife or anything like that, but I was very bitter. Yeah. I was a very bitter, um, angry person. A lot of the time, stressed out. Um, those are the negative parts of being a bulldog. But I was very tenacious and just wouldn't let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even interviewed like the, the head of um, Camp Tuckaway because uh, I found out something. I found out things that he would have rather I did not find out. Really? And, um, it, it did not involve him. I'm not accusing him of anything. Yeah. Uh, but I found out that some of his associates had, had been involved in some pretty heinous acts. And even the police hadn't found that out. <laughs> that kind of shocked him. Wow. Um, well, that's what I want to get at. Um, what type of suspect fits the narrative the best to you? Like, it's to me, it definitely doesn't seem like a rando. Just the fact that it's such—it was such a secluded. 
Yeah, yes. Do have some suspicions to the motives. Um, like uh, a, a student. Right, for one thing. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, and, and the and the terrible murders that occurred there. Okay. Um, there's a lot of resentment from some of the peoples in these circles that I'm discussing. Um, you know, a lot of don't have a lot of money. Uh, a lot of borderline poverty. Uh, poor life, poor life choices that could be part of it, sure. Um, but uh, they, they, but they didn't have mom and dad to send them to Virginia Tech, and you know, you know, one of the most prestigious universities in the state. You know, big big dollars and very very expensive, and just gets things handed to them. And, and see, and, and some Virginia Tech students uh, act very irresponsibly. I guess, but in fairness, I guess some college students in general can act very irresponsibly. But yeah. I've seen things from security. You know, I used to have to work security to finish out my private investigation um, requirements, state requirements. The kind of compliance agent are pretty involved. It's not just getting to be a PI is not hard. Getting to be a, a compliance agent. And meeting the requirements that the state sets in front of you in order to, you know, to, to do that and to have that position where you're responsible for what the firm does. Yeah. That's a lot more involved. Okay. And in order to do that, I had to work security and things. And I saw a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff involving immature, irresponsible, spoiled college students. Um, it's not to say that there are other segments of the, of the, you know, of our society that also are similar, but there was a bit, I do know this. I know there's a lot of people that attend the gun range that are jealous of Virginia Tech students, don't think much of Virginia Tech students, have terrible resentment towards them. Um, and, I, and this individual, I had one primary individual of interest, um, and I, I, you know, obviously I don't want to name names, yeah. but I have not forgotten about him. I have not uh, stopped keeping an eye on him. Really? Um, he had a tremendous amount of resentment towards him. And when the show thing happened, he was actually in love with the spotlight. The spotlight that took place partly at the gun range because that's where Cho would go. Cho would go to the gun range. Cho knew the individual. Jesus. Um, kind of like an ultimate solution thing. Yeah. You know how more and more people today, um, sadly, but uh, suicide by cop, you've heard the term. Yeah. Go out in a blaze of glory type things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that somebody really sick in the head could admire show for what he did I, there's a lot that happened in the show world show was a victim too but that doesn't mean you know I mean I've got you know I've got my I've got my put Captain Kirk saying I need my pain I've got my pain I forget which Star Trek movie that was from right but um, you know that doesn't mean you go out and, and take out vengeance on other people it exactly go and, but that's what Cho did yeah and um, that's what this individual did <laughs> Um, and I'm sorry I kind of get scattered so No, much. no, it, this uh, is great. Yeah. So, you have this one individual. Uh, yes. So it was obviously a planned hit job, pretty much. Yes, um, I think it was, uh, yes. I don't believe it was like planned for weeks or months. I think it was more of a... Of a you know, witness them drive by, stood over for about 45 minutes, half an hour, probably had some bulletins in them, and said, hey, I, I, think I, I think I know what I want to do tonight. Right. After, you know, a, a short period of, you know, you wouldn't have a lot of time to sit around, right? It would have to be the same evening. Yeah. Um, 
like let, let's say that the car went back and by and after about 30 minutes to an hour and a half it's like i think i'm gonna go with this yeah that's what happened um you mentioned earlier that it was a engagement get together yes um that's a interesting thing because i didn't know that and the fact that her belongings were stolen but not his that makes me think uh a possibility of the guy or people who did it knew heidi and this this night of an engagement is that well they knew they knew something was going on oh, yeah i mean like um um and I, look, I got a, I've got a lot of respect for you. I think you're very, and so we, we won't always agree on everything, but right. you're sharp, and I think your intentions are good. Um, I, I don't think it was. I, I don't think there was that much information, okay? Uh, you know, or knowledge. I, I don't think it was like uh, Heidi was an attractive young woman. Okay, David yeah. was in the way. Yeah, the car was going by slow on that road. Salem Van Camp had been playing. Um, it, it was a crime of opportunity. With, with planning yeah. but not the tremendous amount of planning okay because it's just so complex and I, I get so many uh, theories and people saying this or that that was just uh, it came to it came to mind when you told me all that <clears throat> no and, and I respect that yeah. I respect that and, and I mean you probably well alright so I guess a little bit of the bulldog might come out okay um, um, you might have some people that I would probably refer to as whack jobs Right. Um, reaching out to you. And maybe they even have good intentions. Yeah. But some really far out there theories and, and, and you know, down to it, you know, down to like minuscule detail. No, I'm pretty confident, I know, because it makes the most sense to me. And, and it seemed like it made the most sense to the to, to law enforcement at that time of how the crime probably took place in terms of pulled over here, hung out for a little bit, smoked some cigarettes, yeah. um, which I had rounded up and given to the state police. Um, okay. You know, and, and that kind of a thing. That all made sense. But but trying to get down to like in the Morgan Harrington situation with the uh, you know there was, there was the findmorgan.com and all yeah. this, and it just went absolutely ridiculously. You know, all of a sudden. And, well, and I, I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead, and I'm not trying to speak ill of Morgan. Okay, but like I right. said, shades gray. Okay, she wasn't a saint. Right. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but she wasn't, uh, you know, a terrible person. I mean, somewhere in between, we all lie, right? Or at least the vast majority of us. Yeah. And um, so what I'm getting, you know, so anyway, people were reaching out with unbelievable theories and people were saying things like, you know, she speaks to me in dreams and, mm. and you know, some really crazy stuff. Wow. Now, as far as these two kids go, yeah. on that spectrum I'm describing, the, the, the shades of gray. Yeah. Uh, and you got Mother Teresa at the one end, and you got Adolf Hitler way over here somewhere. No, no, they were a lot closer to the Mother Teresa side. Right. Um, I'm not saying they were saints, but these were two very young, very, well, very beautiful people yeah. in terms of what they wanted to do, uh, the life they were trying to create, the way they presented themselves, the way they interacted at their at their ministry. Yes. They were called the ministry at Virginia Tech. Um so, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know that anybody, to say somebody deserves something to happen, but, the, but in terms of the deserve scale, no, they, they really, uh, they really got a raw deal. Yeah. Um, why do you think the police is so hush-hush about information? Like, 
I will see uh, advertisement like there's a, a billboard not too like last year of the reward hundred thousand dollars, but there's not really you know they're not giving much info about it. Why is that? So here's where I probably uh, really irritate. Yeah. Right? And and the, the public perception of how things goes down in law enforcement is not accurate. Um, uh, we're back to the Morgan Harrington thing simply because uh, you know because it was so, such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so was this, but it was a lot more publicized. But here's the bottom line: <laughs> it's politics. It's political. Yeah. Virginia Tech law enforcement did, did, was not particularly thrilled that the state police in Montgomery County State, you know, Montgomery County Sheriff's Department and, and the Virginia State Police wanted them to dig around, ask all these students' questions and different things and everything, right, versus them doing it. And, and then, you but know, why is, getting all the credit. Why is that? Is it's it, politics. Okay. It's not, it's not kumbaya. Yeah. There was a scene in Simpsons a long time ago where this lawyer said, and I don't know why I keep referring to TV stuff. Hey, it works. Because, <laughs> uh, imagine a world without lawyers, and then you have a little bubble go up, and then everybody's... In, in a circle singing kumbaya and holding hands and doing it. <laughs> that is not the, the world of law enforcement. Yeah. The agencies don't like each other. I would say it, it's a lot closer to what people might be familiar with, with, uh, what was that, the uh, law and order. The yeah. police show, you know, law and order. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have your hard-nosed beat cops, you'd have your prosecutors, you'd have your other agencies, and, and the other agencies didn't, uh, didn't, a lot of times didn't like your agency, and a lot of times your agency didn't like theirs. Um, there are exceptions, there are obviously. There are members of uh, Virginia State Police that get along quite well with different members of the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department, okay. Giles County Sheriff's Department, all that. Mm-hmm. But it's not this kumbaya. They're different agencies. They have to work together because that's the nature of their job. Right. In order to survive as a police officer, I would have made a terrible police officer. <laughs> I would have gone home and kicked the dog. Uh, drank too much because it was very personal. Yeah. If you're going to survive in law enforcement, it cannot be personal. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, that doesn't mean you don't want to do your job. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're not a good person. It means you need to be able to sleep at night and refresh your mind. It means, it means you have to have a life outside of what you do and, and what you see. Right. Um, so, but anyway, it was very political. Um, in Sheriff, Sheriff Witt. Um, well, he was probably under a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. but he had a lot of his people under pressure. Um, it was very stressful. Oh, and they don't. They don't release information. And a lot of the times these rewards, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to put it out there. It's like a carrot on the stick, dude. Yeah. There was a great big Morgan Harrington reward. We always throw this reward around there, hoping that people are going to act. Right. Um, that's, that's not the way I operate. I mean, I've got enough to eat. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Would I like some money? I mean, like if I actually help someone, sure, okay? I mean, yeah. what am I going to sit here and lie to you like some politician? Right. But, but no, that's second. That's second. That has to be second. The mm-hmm. motive can't be that. The motive is try to do what's right. Ethically um, right, don't yes. Don't worry about this stupid reward. Yes. Um, I have one more question. Uh, what should be considered considered more, like... What needs to be looked at more, in your opinion? So, let's talk about me. 
okay. and what resources I had, and more importantly, what resources I didn't have. Okay. Okay. So, so law enforcement generally doesn't like private investigators. Right. And I and I understand that, and there's a reason. You either make them look really bad, or you get in the way. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that, that just be, that's fair. If they were dead, somebody said that to me, and they were right. Mm-hmm. I either make you look like you know like an idiot, uh, or I get in the way. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. it depends, if we're working the same thing, if we're all doing the same thing. So here's this here's this you know one man band private investigator. Uh, over time, I you know. I, I got a little bit more clout, had some assistance with a few things from some outside other private investigation agencies. But the point is, so here's this, so one-man operation, right? Yeah. One-man operation was able to infiltrate some real dirtbag circles, set himself up with a, a fake identity and a, and a burner phone, and was able to win the trust of these people. <laughs> to the point that the primary, the primary, my primary suspect, and definitely on the radar of the law enforcement agencies. Yeah. Okay. He had invited me over. Really? Like he was gonna. He, he had invited me to come visit him at his residence, and you know, and, and hang out and drink and all this nonsense. Wow. Now I'm not saying I was gonna go over. I couldn't. I mean, would have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I wasn't planning on going and getting blasted. But if I'm in that residence, I, I'm a guest, okay? Yeah. I'm a guest, and I happen to see the, I, mean, I, I see the, I see the rifle, I see whatever, okay? I see it, it's center game. Mm-hmm. You've invited me in. That doesn't mean I could, like, go banging around, and, I mean, you get into this really concerning area, like, that doesn't mean I should go search his panty drawer. But the point <laughs> is, he's invited me in. Yeah. And he was on the radar, and he wasn't supposed to own firearms. So I had all this lined up. And then, uh, Sheriff Witt scares the hell out of everybody. We got your DNA. We're coming for you. We're mm. going to get you. I think I mentioned some of this in my blog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after all that, the guy, you know, my, my dirt ball that I was watching and watching and a whole bunch of other dirt balls, they, they went off and hit. Wow. Uh, you know, they, they, they were scared. Um, all right. So like I, I mentioned the Camp Tupperway situation and, and, the, and, the, the guy that was running had nothing to do with what I had learned. Yeah. But he didn't want any part of that. He didn't want me to know this. He didn't want any negative attention drawn to, to his camp, to himself, to his to any of his friends. He, you know, he, he just he wanted no involvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, but so here's this there's this individual PI running around, managed to establish a, basically a fake identity, for lack of saying anything else. Um, gets certain sleaze bags that live in the area to trust him, to hang out with him. And, and, and you know, I don't think anybody was going to get blasted and confess, yeah, I was the one to do it. But just to get as far as I had gotten mm-hmm. and then have it all thrown out because the, because of the, the sheriff's, uh, the, then, the then sheriff's political stunt, yeah, that ticked me off. So you think, uh, off. you think if Witt didn't, wouldn't have done that, you might have discovered something, you know, prominent. Yes, and, then, and and as we speak, um, I'm starting to remember, and mm-hmm. I think that happens a lot of times. There was a publication, um, I think it's fine even to say it, um, I had met with a reporter mm-hmm. from, um, I believe it was the Southwest Times out of Pulaski, okay. and he was sharp. He was a good reporter. You know, that, uh, not, you know, this, we're not talking about National Enquirer, we're talking about an actual journalist that knew what the heck he was doing. Right. He basically... He basically had a conversation with Sheriff Witt and said, 
I, you know, here's what I know. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Either your department comes out and says something, or I will. Mm. Because the public, you know, the public has been kept, you know, wondering and, and, and concerned without any kind of an update for a long time. I think at that point it would have been a couple of years. Yeah. And so, um, I guess, I guess, if anything, I don't know. I guess maybe I should be frustrated with the with the uh, the journalist. Yeah. Uh, no offense to you, of course. I don't mean, but uh, the point is that maybe maybe Whit felt that he had to say something that he was going to run under. Uh, he was, you know, he was worried about his upcoming election. Right. But um, but what he did was stupid. He, he, uh, as I as I remember, because we're going back a while, but it basically was kind of it, it amounted up to an on the air. Um, an on-the-air threat, an on-the-air, you know, we're, we're coming to get you, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it, it, it just, it just shook everybody up, every, it shook anybody that might have had any involvement whatsoever to that location and, and to that murder, it shook them up, yeah. it made them all very close-lipped, it made them not only close-lipped, they, they shut down their circles, all of a sudden I wasn't invited over for, you know, for the, the beer and shindig with the scumbag, yeah. um, a number of other things happened too, um, yeah, it, it was just handled very poorly. It was a publicity stunt. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. The families need closure. They and, do. Um, <clears throat> Alright, so then you certainly can use this. Um, yeah. The family needs closure, and, and I agree with a couple of the people you've interacted with. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people out there to this day that have worthwhile information. That, you want to why the you want to why the billboard's still up? The hundred thousand dollar reward, yada yada. That's why. Yeah. Because do, does the bulldog think there's still worthwhile stuff that has not come to light? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's people out there that are scared. Uh, they don't want to get involved. They're they're scared of their safety, you know, for their safety, and so forth and so on. So, if any of your listeners do have anything really worthwhile, fine. Have them reach out to you, and you know how to get a hold of me. Yeah. And and. You know, um, but there are, there are, there are, you know, that, that's why I got into private investigation. Yeah. I wanted to make a difference. And if you if your, if your podcast, if your, you know, if your efforts, um, can, can help bring some things to light in this world, um, that, that need resolution to convince people to come out here. I took risks. Yeah. I mean, you don't think I took risks? Right. I was running around interviewing people, dealing with, you know, dealing with people you certainly wouldn't bring home to mama. Exactly. Uh, all legal and everything, but I mean, I had my I, I, my concealed permit and a concealed pistol. You know, all legal, all above board. I even have my firearms endorsement, but, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is state issued for law enforcement and private security. But the, the point is, you know, yeah, there's risks. Yeah, somebody could get hurt. Somebody was hurt. Yeah. You know, our country wouldn't be going through some of the craziness it was going it's going through right now if more people, whatever your beliefs are, stand behind what you think is right. Yeah. It doesn't mean go out there and attack people. I'm not saying go out there and riot. I'm not saying... I'm saying, you know, take logical steps to try to reach a worthwhile conclusion. Exactly. You know, whatever the goal is. Yeah. It, the, whole, the whole goal for this series is to bring light to this 12-year-old story. It's to, to bring more awareness and hope that somebody will reach out to either, I don't know, me, you, the police, most importantly, you know, to 
to find new tips <clears throat> and I appreciate you being on here it I it helps out so much to get your perspective on it and I'm hoping that it will draw a lot of attention well I hope I hope so too and um, you know I, I seem like a really stark caring individual mm-hmm. and, I mean I I'm sorry that I bounced around on topics and things. Uh, no, it, it's it's great. Too much. No. But yeah, I, I believe I believe the shoe very well could have been Heidi's and it was left behind by accident. Yeah. I believe that there were a number of mistakes made during the investigation. I believe that Montgomery County law enforcement should have done what I did. Yeah. They, they should have tried to go undercover. They should have tried to get in these circles. Going out and asking everybody at the gun range whether you're a 30 30, that was just, that's, that's not what I'm, that's stupid. You don't do things like that. Exactly. <laughs> that they, it was, oh, yeah, I got one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was me. Come on. Right. Okay? Right. Um, if, if this goes down, uh, a further path um, I would love to you know bring you on again or we can meet up and see what see what we can find <clears throat> that, that sounds good um, I mean like alright yeah cause like I, I still I still get calls I yeah. still have temptations I mean I got into PI work for the things that I discussed with you I, I wanted to make a difference okay? yeah. I mean I wanted to make I, I was hoping to make a career out of it sure Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very hard to run your own uh, your own business, right? But um, I wanted to make a difference, you know. I mean, I mean, look, I like uh, and your audience gets to hear this, and that's fine. I'm, I'm level with you. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Like some publicity drawn to the firm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if if somebody tried to give me the key to the city because I managed to do something worthwhile, and and I made some money off of it, of course. But, but, but no, I wanted closure for the family. Yeah. I wanted him caught. I had sleepless nights. I had I had a couple of nights where I drank too damn much. Yeah. Um, I had a son that died. Uh, these young these these parents they had you know very respectful young children at Virginia Tech going out um, planning on getting married. Yeah. Um, you know, in love, and, and to have some dirtbag show up and just snub them out. Um, it's terrible. You, you, read my, you read my blog. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I know I wanted him. Yeah. I wanted a piece of him. And I was a little bit younger and I was a little bit feistier. Mm-hmm. And it was come get some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and even now I'm not really hiding. So if anybody <laughs> wants to figure out who I am, it, it wouldn't be all that hard. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not out here doing any illegal actions. I'm not out here um, in any way harassing anybody. Or you know, causing problems. But mm. if I was able to figure out who it was, um, I, I would. I would hope. I would. I would, I would probably do the right thing. I would bring it to the attention of law enforcement. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but like I said, you know, come get some. <laughs> I, I want them. Yeah. Want yeah. Thank you for opening up too. It that that means a lot to me, and I'm sure others as well who listen. <clears throat> um. I think that's all I have. Uh, we'll keep in touch, and uh, I'll reach out to you. I'll reach out Please to you soon. Do. I, yeah. I wish I had, listen, maybe you can do what I didn't do, mm. okay? You know, I initially was interested. I actually went to college initially for writing and everything. I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. Um, I'm pessimistic by nature, but there's always a possibility I'm wrong. Right. You know, uh, you're, you're out there trying to, you and a lot of other people... Uh, actual journalists now are fewer and fewer. Um, mm-hmm. 
because they're under pressure and they've got families to feed. But, you know, maybe you're able to do what I'm not, what I was not able to do. Uh, you right. can't do it by yourself. You know, maybe you're able to, to somehow tweak somebody within your audience to say, I need to do something here. I yeah. should have brought this up a long time ago. I got something. I got something that might be worth something to somebody. Yeah. And uh, in terms of in terms of bringing the resolution to this. Well, thank you, thank you so much because you're you're definitely helping. Um, I hope so. You are. Um, um, kids. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Not for, look, it's not for the bulldog. It's not for the bulldog. It's not even for you. Yeah. It's for the parents. Absolutely. That your young adults just just starting to establish their lives. And, and just kind of you know, nope, up yours. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm taking you out, and I, and I, and you know, kicking you to the curb, and your life ain't worth nothing to me. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, All right. I will. I'll reach out to you probably right after this phone call. So thank you so much. Sure. All right. All Have right, a good well, day. No, it's good, man. All thank right. you. All right, bye. So that's the end of this episode, guys. Um, the Bulldog, he is a interesting character. I will say that. And I appreciate him being on the show. Um, I just want to say that all of this is to help spread awareness to this case. And I hope that more people will be, um, they will become more interactive with trying to end this tragic unsolved mystery the bulldog revealed a lot of things that i had no idea the david and heidi proposal get together that is just it makes it more heartbreaking and the shoe that was left behind just the all-around complex stage that this case is at right now 12 years but anyway please reach out to the Virginia State Police if you have any information any tips that will you think that will help this case out just call 540-375-9589 and if you want to follow the podcast go to the private Facebook page Cryptic Files Podcast if you want to follow the Instagram page, it's at Cryptic Files Podcast. Email me at crypticfilepodcast at gmail.com. And if you wish to call and leave a voicemail to me, or if you want to reach out to the Bulldog, contact me first and I will let him know by calling my hotline, 540-358-1583. Thank you guys for listening. If you wish to like the podcast, five-star it, review it, share it, please share it. Let other people listen to it. They might know. They might know this story. They might know a secret. You never know. Just, I appreciate you guys listening. And lastly, watch your back. It is cryptic out there.